third chapter of Daniel this morning. It's on page 1374 if you're using a pew Bible. Has anybody ever done this? This is called paragliding. And I don't know a lot about paragliding, but the idea seems to be that you go up on the top of a very high cliff, you strap on this large chute, a wing-shaped parachute. You, you let it fill with air. You run as fast as you can and jump off the cliff. How many of you have that on your bucket list? <laughs> have you done it? John's done it. There you go. I think I'm going to put it on mine. Maybe it should be sooner rather than later. because <laughs> I don't think it gets easier the older you get, does it? I think maybe that's something I should do fairly soon. But I was reading about one man's first experience with paragliding, and here's how he described it. He said, paragliding is one of those experiences that sounds amazing when your feet are firmly planted on the ground. But the closer you get to the edge of the cliff, the more you question whether you should jump off of it. As I sprinted toward the 10,000 foot drop off, one thought kept repeating itself like a broken record. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. 
But as soon as I jumped off the cliff and the updraft filled the parachute and I began to glide effortlessly through the sky, the thought, this is crazy, quickly changed to this is awesome. <laughs> and here's his conclusion. One thing I have discovered as a follower of Jesus is that unless we are willing to follow the Lord into this is crazy situations, we will never experience this is awesome moments. I like that. So I began to look in the Bible and I discovered that the Bible is full of people who found themselves in this is crazy situations that turned to this is awesome moments if they kept their faith in God. And one of those is here in the third chapter of Daniel. Now let me give you a little background here. This kind of jumps in the middle of things. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered the people of Israel. God had told Israel through his prophets this was going to happen. He said, you've disobeyed me, you've sinned against me, you've been rebellious toward me, and I'm going to allow this foreign nation to come in and, and conquer you. And Babylon was that nation. And it was the practice of, of King Nebuchadnezzar that when he conquered another nation, he would take the best and the brightest of their people back to Babylon. And he would put them in his service, in his government. And occasionally, some of those people were so good, so capable, that they rose to some of the highest positions of power in the Babylonian government. Now, as you can imagine, this didn't sit well with the Babylonian officials, especially the ones that were beneath <laughs> these Jewish exiles who rose to power above them. They didn't think they should be there. They're foreigners. They don't deserve that position. And they were jealous of them and wanted to get rid of them. So they looked for any opportunity to uh, knock them down, if you will, in the eyes of the king. And the problem with many of the ancient rulers is that not only did they want to be king, but they wanted people to revere them as a god. And King Nebuchadnezzar was one of those. And that's where we pick up Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Let me stop there a minute. Earl, how high do you think this ceiling is? 35 feet. So that means that this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar is nearly three times the height of the ceiling. Just to give you a little perspective on how big this thing was. And it was nine feet wide and it was made of gold and out on the plain of Dura it was just kind of a, a flat area. There, were, there would have been very few plants around. And this statue would have stood there gleaming in the sun and would have been visible for miles. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, 
the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the other provincial officials to come to the, the dedication of the image he had set up. Now notice he didn't invite them. He summoned them. And that meant you had to go. <laughs> he set up this huge statue out in this big open plain and then invited his entire government. Anybody that served in any way, this would have been hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people through the whole kingdom of Babylon came to the plain of Dura so that they could revere this statue in honor of King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 4, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, which would include Jewish exiles, by the way. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So basically, the king brought an, an entire orchestra out onto the plain of Dura. And I told Raph at the 930 service, I think we need to add a zither to our church uh, music. Don't you think we need zither music? Anybody play the zither? We got any zitherers? No? Does anybody know what a zither is? Well, if you Google it, <laughs> it's kind of the precursor of the banjo. It was a stringed instrument on kind of a flat board, and it kind of became the ancestor of the banjo. So let's, let's work on that. Zither. I want zither. So the idea was the king was going to say, strike up the music. And when they strike up the music, everybody was supposed to bow to this statue. And they're not just talking, you know, kind of nod your head. Okay, yeah, you're God. Not just go down on one knee. But they basically were supposed to just lay down and, and just <laughs> drop everything they had so they could worship the statue of the king. I'm going to let you wonder how long I'm going to let them lay there until I pick them up. Probably till I run out of something to say, and then I'm going to have to look and see what's next. So what would happen if you didn't? Let's say you are someone who does not want to revere the king as a god. What is the punishment for that? Verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now the question comes up, why on the plain of Dura there is a furnace? I don't know. I mean, it's not normally something you would have on a plain, a furnace. We just happen to have a furnace. He evidently brought it with him. He was expecting it. I guess he didn't want to just threaten, you know, if you don't worship my statue, when we get back to Babylon, we are going to throw you in a fiery furnace. No, he said, bring the furnace out here. Stoke that thing up. Open the door. Let them see the flames. Just in case anyone has second thoughts about not obeying me. 
So they're on the plain of Dura. They have a statue 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. There are hundreds, perhaps thousands of people. The music plays, and they all go down on the ground. Except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jewish exiles who refuse to bow to the statue of the king. So the question you want to ask is, why would they do that? Why was it such a big deal? I mean, even if they didn't believe the king to be God, which they didn't, couldn't they just do it anyway? Couldn't they cross their fingers? We don't mean it. Couldn't they say, well, we'll bow to his statue, but we'll pray to our God. <laughs> That'll show him. I mean, aren't there some compromises they could have made that would have avoided a lot of trouble here? Why were they insistent upon doing this? Because it's not like you could do it and not be noticed. You know, if I had all of you stand up and I had Raph uh, play some music and I told all but three of you to sit down and you did, wouldn't we notice the three still standing? Wouldn't it be pretty obvious? Well, what if everybody was laying on the ground and three people are standing? You can't hide that. They knew they were going to get caught. And yet they did it anyway. There are several principles at work here. First of all, God had some very specific commands for this situation. In fact, the first two of the Ten Commandments were in play here. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make no graven image or idol. We had a king who declared himself God... And we had an idol that they were expected to worship. So they had to decide right there and then on the plain of Dura, do we obey the Lord our God or do we obey King Nebuchadnezzar? And deny our God. Because God won't be one among many. He said, you either worship me and worship me alone or you don't worship me at all. So this was a critical decision for them. And they understood that we can't just compromise. We can't say we'll physically bow, but mentally deny. Because what happens when you have a conviction about something and you allow yourself to compromise a little bit? The next time, you compromise a little bit more. And the next time, a little bit more. And pretty soon, that conviction has eroded away. And it's no longer a conviction. It's more of a suggestion. <laughs> and pretty soon it's something you ignore altogether. They understood that. We are living in a foreign land. We have been taken out of the land of our faith, but we have not allowed them to take the faith out of us. And if we bow on this plane today, we have begun that process of denying our God and leaving our faith behind. And we will not do that. The second principle in play is they understood that all of the Jewish exiles out there that had been brought were looking to them. They were in high government positions. They were considered leaders among the people, the Jewish people. And they were going to take their cue from them. If they bow to that statue, they're all going to bow to that statue. And Israel will lose their identity as the people of God in the land of Babylon, which is exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted. After all, you know the old saying, when in Babylon, be like the Babylonians. I think it's Roman Romans, but whatever. 
Same, same principle. So that's why they decided to put themselves in what I would consider a crazy situation. The statue of the king is there. The king commands them to bow. They're in the king's service, but they refuse the king's command, and they remain standing. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Babylonian officials were jealous of these Jewish exiles who rose to power, and they were the first ones to notice, oh, wait a minute, who's standing out there? There's, there's, some, there's three guys standing out there. Who is that? They got their binoculars. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, king, king, here, check this out. What? Your guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those Jewish exiles that you're so big on, and, and you gave these positions of power. They're refusing you. What are you going to do about it? Well, if you were to read on, you would find out that the king got really mad. He called them up front. But because he really liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and appreciated their service because they had done a great job, otherwise they wouldn't have been elevated to these positions, he decided to give them a second chance. After all, they're foreigners. Maybe they didn't fully understand the command. Maybe they didn't understand what the king expected. So they are standing now before the king. And he says, look, guys, it's really simple. King, God. I want you to obey me as king. I want you to worship me as God. Music, play, bow, all will be forgiven. Refuse to bow, you're going in the furnace. You know, it's one thing to defy the king when you're standing a long way off. <laughs> it's another thing to defy him to his face. So what are they going to do? This is a critical point of decision. I'm going to go over to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. But now hear this part. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That, my friends, is crazy faith. To stand in the face of a king and defy him by standing on your faith in God. Now, I've never been put in that kind of intense situation. But I've been in lesser situations. I've been in situations where a lie would make my life so much easier than telling the truth. But God said, do not lie. Do I honor God? Or do I follow my own inclination? I've been in situations where doing the right thing was going to cost me. Doing the wrong thing could make life easier. But God tells me to do what is right under every circumstance. Do I honor God or do I take the easy way out? You know, day after day, we find ourselves in situations. Do I honor my marriage? Do I honor commitments that I have made to my God? Do I stand for what is right? Do I tell the truth? 
Do I allow the light of Christ to shine in me, or do I keep putting a little basket over it and covering it up by taking the route of my will rather than His? We all have to make those choices. And sometimes it seems crazy to, to stand for what is right when it would be so much easier to do what is wrong. But that's exactly what God calls us to do. And that's what he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do. And that's what they did. And notice the depth of their faith. They said, we believe, first of all, God can save us. Second, we believe he will. But if we're wrong, and for whatever reason, God decides to let us burn alive in that furnace, we still won't serve you. We still won't deny God. We still won't compromise our faith because it's too important to us. So do what you got to do, King, but here we stand. Well, before I told you the king was mad, now he's really mad. You don't defy the king to his face in front of all of his other officials. He got so angry that he ordered the furnace to be stoked many times hotter than it normally is. In fact, it was so hot that when he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound and led to the opening of the furnace, and they opened that thing up, the intense heat and the flames shot from that thing and actually killed the soldiers who had charge of them. And the last thing they were able to do before they died was to push the three men into the furnace. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are on their way to the furnace, and they have to be thinking, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. They're shoved into that furnace, and for a moment, they're, they're, they're braced for the worst. We're going to die right here, right now, in this moment. But the only thing that burns are the ropes around them. They fall off. And they come to realize, I'm not dead. <laughs> not only am I not dead, but I don't seem to be hurt. I am standing in the midst of fire, and I'm not hurt. <laughs> don't you think they'd do that? Little, maybe a little river dance. I would do that, but it would hurt me. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, I think they would be doing a little dancing. And it wouldn't just be the three of them. Because the moment they go in, someone else is there with them. Who's that fourth guy? Is it an angel? Perhaps. One like a son of the gods. Hmm. I don't know. Could it be Jesus himself? Perhaps. We, we really don't know. And I don't need to know. 
Because whoever it is, it represents the presence of God. God's answer to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, You were right. I could save you from the fire, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to deliver you from the furnace. You're going in. I'm going to let Nebuchadnezzar have his way. But that's as far as he goes. Then my will comes in. And my will is to show Nebuchadnezzar who God really is. It's not his big old tall golden statue. It is the God of Isaac and Jacob. The God of Israel. The God of Abraham and Moses. Three went in. And four were in the flames. The principle there is that God may not deliver you from harm when you stand for Him. God may not spare you from suffering when you do what is right, but He promises you He will go through it with you. When you go through the flames, He's going to be right there. He's not going to stand back and say, Good job! Hang in there! Tough it out! You're going to be all right. No, He's right there with you. Saying, come on, we can do this together. And when they came out of that furnace, not only were they still alive, not only were they unharmed, their clothes were not burned, their hair was not singed, they didn't even smell of smoke. Absolutely no effect from that fire was upon them. And King Nebuchadnezzar was so taken back, he said, I just have to declare that the God of Israel must be God. Because <laughs> only God could do that. Now, unfortunately, he didn't stay to that conviction. <laughs> I'd like to tell you that King Nebuchadnezzar turned his life around and, and everything changed, but it didn't. He went back to his old ways. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only remained in the king's service, but remained true to their God till their dying day. They were willing to be in crazy situations so that they could experience this as awesome moments with the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that the story of these three men is recorded for us and preserved for us down through the ages in the pages of your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us example after example in your word that if we are faithful, we may still suffer. We may go through hardship and trial. We may even experience death. But your deliverance is sure. It will come in this life or in the life to come. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will always be that other person walking through the fire of whatever our trial or our trouble may be. So, Father, I pray that when life gets crazy, that our faith gets crazy with it, and we are willing to have this as crazy moments, knowing that you are with us so that we can experience this as awesome moments with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.